Good afternoon. Let's open up together to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, chapter 13. And I'm going to read the first five verses. Genesis 13, 1 through 5. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, a lot with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this time that you give us to come into your presence. We thank you because you do not deny us your voice when we seek it. We thank you because when we knock, you open and those who ask will receive. And so this morning, as we prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word, I pray that you will speak to us by your Holy Spirit. I pray that every word that is spoken would be anointed by the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts and minds this morning. We thank you for your word that is um, satisfying and fulfilling to our souls. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please remain, uh, keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be reading multiple texts. We're going to be tr covering both chapters 13 and 14 in Genesis, so keep your Bibles open. Uh, we have been following the life of Abraham over the past few months. We saw him coming out of the Ur of the Chaldeans upon the call of the Lord to him. We saw him entering the land of promise, Canaan. And then we saw him uh, last time go down to Egypt when the famine came into the land of Canaan. Uh, that was not a very pleasant experience for him. It was a painful experience, somewhat humiliating. But the Lord in his mercy and in his grace brought him back and restored him. And as we see in these verses when it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, this is his return to the promised land. God is restoring him to the place where he first started and to the place between Bethel and Ai, where he had built an altar. Now, all along, we hear the name of Lot. Lot was his orphaned nephew who had traveled with him. And we see him going with him wherever Abraham is going. Uh, it says, and Lot, who went with Abraham. I think that's a good way of describing the life of, Abraham, of Lot so far. All he is doing is basically following uh, the steps and leaning on the decisions and uh, what his uncle is doing. But in these chapters, chapters 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit through Moses is going to shine the light on Lot. And it's going to come to us through an incident where both men become rich and their uh, herdsmen start to fight with each other because the land that they are in is not able to support both of them anymore. And that forces both men to make decisions and to um, long-term decisions. 
and it leads to their separation. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to, uh, to make it easy for us to follow, I'm just going to give you three headings. Uh, we're going to look a little bit about the conflict that takes place, and then we're going to look at the decisions that each one of them ends up making, and then we're going to look at the consequences of those uh, decisions. So um, let's look at the strife. In, in verses 5 to 7, if you would look into your Bible, uh, following the verses that I just read, it says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their, uh, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So that's the conflict. Uh, there is not enough supply for both their animals and their livestock. Uh, conflicts should not surprise us. Um, it's part of our human nature. When Adam and Eve, on that fateful day, reached for that fruit and decided to break the commandment of God, one of the things that we inherited from them is conflict and disagreements. As soon as they ate from that fruit, the first thing they started doing was they started blaming each other. Next thing you know, their sons, one is killing the other. Even in the life of the apostles, when you read the Gospels, during the life of our Lord, the apostles were always bickering with each other who would be greater among them. In the dawn of the church, the church, the New Testament church, one of the first things we read as the church is developing is that the Hellenist Jews and the Hebrew Jews started kind of disagreeing with each other over the widow issue. Even the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, ended up falling out with each other. So conflict is a natural uh, thing with us human beings. Husbands and wives, co-workers, siblings, citizens of a nation, and even nations among each other. That's just what happens to us. I don't think the issue is as much as having conflicts. I will submit to you that conflicts are not necessarily the issue. What the issue is how we handle conflicts. How we approach conflicts is what makes all the difference in the world uh, for us. So, which makes us, uh, brings us into the decisions that Abraham and Lot made, because here they are facing this conflict, and it forces them into a decision. The land is not enough, we need to do something about it. And we're going to look at Abraham's decision first, and then we're going to look at uh, Lot's decision. I think Abraham, in this passage, gives us a master class in conflict resolution and decision making. Um, let's read together verses 8 to 9. Then Abram said to Lot, this is after the herdsmen started fighting with each other. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. So 
being faced with this reality that they need to separate, Abraham um, makes a decision. Now, the first thing is he does not ignore the conflict that's taking place. A lot of times we tend to kind of avoid and wish away conflicts, but he doesn't. He realizes the tribal spirit that can overtake them very quickly. Notice the herdsmen are already in a tribal mode. I'm for Lot, I'm for Abraham, and they're fighting for each other. Abraham wisely recognizes that him and Lot could very easily be swept into this fight, and that this fight could very easily break up the family. And so he takes, he decides to do something about it. And this is something we always have to be careful about. One child fights with the other, the father takes the side of one child, the mother takes the side of the other, next thing you know, the father and the mother are fighting. One member of a church disagrees with another member. Next thing you know, a few members take this side. The other members take this side. Next thing you know, the elders get involved, and they separate. And next thing you know, you see a broken church or a broken home. So we always have to take that seriously, and we have to be mindful of the tribal divisive spirit that we all as people have within us. And we have to be wise about it. So Abraham makes that decision that he's going to do something about it. The second thing is that he, he makes a decision. And the decision is, is that we're going to separate from each other. And so he goes to Lot and makes him an offer. And the offer that he makes to Lot is both generous and humble. It's generous because he offers him a take on the land. Now remember... This is a land that God has promised him. This is not Lot's land. This is Abraham's land. God has told him this is for you and for your offspring. And yet, he is generous to give Lot an opportunity to choose where he wants to go first. The second thing is, it's a humble offer. He is the senior in the relationship. Abraham is a father figure. He's raised Lot. And he deserves to choose first. And yet he doesn't do that. He humbly offers Lot an opportunity to choose where he wants to go. Now the question is, why? what makes Abraham act the way he is acting? And I think we see that in verse 8. In verse 8, notice how he speaks to Lot. He says to him, let there be no strife between us, for we are kinsmen. What Abraham is deciding is that when it comes, if the choice is between the land and Lot, I'm going to choose Lot. I'm going to preserve the relationship with Lot. Lot is too valuable to me to lose that relationship. And I'm willing to forfeit the land to preserve the relationship with my nephew. And um, why is he doing that with Lot? Because he loves Lot. His love for this man leads him to be generous and to be humble towards him. Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, love does not insist on its own way. In Corinthians 10, he says, let no one seek his own good, 
but the good of his neighbor. That's what love does, brothers and sisters. Love makes us generous and humble toward the person that we love. And so we always, when there's conflict, we have to ask ourselves, when you're fighting with your husband or your wife, when you're disagreeing, when you're arguing, which is more important to you? Winning the argument or winning your husband or wife? Which is more important to you? To get what you want or to put them first and let them get what they want first, even if it's at the expense of your son. Abraham made that decision that I want to preserve my relationship with Lot. Lot is more important to me than the land, and therefore, I'm going to act generously, and I'm going to act humbly. Now, there is something important to notice here before we move on from Abraham. Notice Abraham is making this decision when he has been restored into the place where he was worshiping God. He's back at the altar. His relationship with God is restored. I don't think... Now, when he went to Egypt, he acted very selfishly towards Sarah. He was fearful, and he was willing to sacrifice his wife, if you remember. He was away from the Lord. He was not in a relationship with God at that point. But here is different. Here he is right back where the altar was. And there is a sense that his relationship, because his relationship is proper with God and his communion is good with God, he is able to make this wonderful decision. My point is, for us to make spiritually driven decisions, we have to be spiritually right with God. It's very difficult for you and for me to be away from the Lord living in the world, and then when the conflict happens, all of a sudden we start making good spiritual decisions. So what helps him make this decision is his status with the Lord, his closeness to the Lord, the fact that he has been restored to a deeper relationship with God. Uh, now we look at Lot. Lot, if you look at verses 10 to 13, approaches the same situation, separation. We're going to separate, and I have to choose a land. Verses 10 to 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was all watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, and the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east as they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now this is the first time we see Lot in action. Like I said earlier, so far all we've heard is his name following Abraham. All of a sudden... He is forced into making a decision. He has to make a decision. All of us in life, at some point or another, we have to make critical, life-changing, long-term decisions. And it is when we face those decisions, I think, is when the true nature 
and the motives of our hearts are revealed. Here, we see where Lot's heart has been. Now, he's a believer. But the nature of his heart, the motives of his heart are revealed. The first thing, we see selfishness. Now, again, he's the senior in the relationship. In that tribal society, and even today in, in our 21st century, you would think that he, when his uncle is making that offer to him, he would say, no, uncle. You're the oldest. You raised me. You choose first, and then I will choose second. But he doesn't do that, does he? As soon as his uncle offers him the land, and he sees the land of the valley, he does not want to give his uncle any chance to choose because he wants the land. He wants that prosperous valley that he, he has seen. So he wants it for himself. There is a sense of selfishness. The second thing is there is a pride of life. He lifts up his eye and he sees the, the Jordan Valley very green, very prosperous. And he sees that, that I want to go there. I want to go there because that land is going to make me rich. That's where my livestock is going to grow. And that's where I'm going to raise money. And that's where I'm going to live and make a good living for myself. Now notice, uh, Lot's reasoning is very logical. From a human perspective, he's making a shrewd, economical, pragmatic, what we would even consider wise decision for himself or for his son. Nothing wrong with wanting to do well for yourself and for your family. So that's not the problem. The problem with his decision is what Moses inserts into the end of that passage, that the land that he is choosing, the men of that land, it says, are wicked and great sinners in the eye of the Lord. They're against the Lord. And so Lot is, while making economical, good decisions, what is missing in his decision processing is that dimension of spirituality. You don't, uh, he's not taking into consideration what kind of people are living in this town? What kind of people are living? Who am I going to be interacting with? There's no mention of him praying or asking the Lord's direction. He's just lifting up his eyes, seeing the valley, seeing it well watered, and jumping on it. That's the sense you get from that passage. And the Bible makes much about the company that we keep. Who we're gonna live, who we're gonna interact with makes a big difference in determining our futures. In in First Corinthians, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. In Proverbs we hear we read, where, where whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so what bothers me about his way of thinking is that he is not taking that into consideration. He's not investigating enough the people that he's going to be in constant daily companionship with. And that would lead to his demise. So brothers and sisters, we, when we make decisions where we're going to live, where we're going to work, 
What college should we go to? What school should we put our children in? What neighborhood do I live in? It's good to make economical, um, educational, good educational choices for our children, for ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. But if we just stop there and we don't balance it with spiritual outlook and evaluating the spiritual aspect of the places and the things that we're going to do, that's where we fall. And that's where Lot fell into trouble. So that's, that's Lot's decision. So to summarize their decisions, there's two verses here that kind of summarize for us what happened here with each one of them. Look with me. In 13.10, notice what it says. It says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. Lifted up his eyes. Now look at 13.14 and 18. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look. You see the difference? From the place where you are, northward and southward, and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offsprings forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that one count, one, uh, one can, uh, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Memra which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So both men lift up their eyes. One of them lifts up his own eyes by his own will and sees the land that he wants to see. And the other guy, Abraham, is lifting up his eyes by the commandment of the Lord and seeing the land, not that he wants to be in, but seeing the land that God has chosen one is following his own will and the other one is following God's will for his life and so they separate one ends up by in Sodom and the other one ends up in Hebron Abraham would spend the rest of his life living in a tent at the town of Hebron in, um, in the book of Genesis remember it says when the serpent came and tempted the woman. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he Adam and Eve lifted up their own eyes and saw the fruit. And Lot lifted up his own eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. Whereas Abraham lifted up his own eyes on the commandment and the order of the Lord. One is making uh, a human will and the other one is making a spiritual God-driven will. Now the consequences. Every decision we make has consequences. The book of Galatians tells us, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. What are the consequences? There's a couple of consequences. First, turmoil 
versus peace. If you, I'm going to spare you, I'm going to get, now we're getting into chapter 14. Chapter 14 is really the, to me, is the consequences of those decisions. Um, I'm going to tell you the story what happens, because there's a lot of names and towns there I don't want to burden you with. But what happens in, in the early part of chapter 14 is Sodom and Gomorrah and few other kings were subdued by another king. And it says that they were subdued for 12 years. They were paying him money every year. And on the 13th year, the kings of those towns, where Lot is now, decided to rebel and not to pay the money anymore. In verse 4, in 14.4, it says, 12 years they had served uh, Gudur Lamor, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. So, Lot is moving into an area that is in rebellion. He's moving into an area that is in turmoil. And the sounds of war are sounding in the town. What a difference. From a distance, beautiful valley, green and prosperous. He moves in, and all of a sudden, these people are in rebellion against that king. And they know war is on the door. Now, notice uh, in Timothy, Paul says the following. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He wanted prosperity, and he gains turmoil and trouble and rebellion. On the other hand, let's look at what Abraham, when he moves to Hebron, what happens to him. Look at verse 14 in chapter 14, verse 14. It says, Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Memrah, the Amorite, brother of Ishkol and of Aner, these were allies of Abraham. These were allies of Abraham. That guy goes in an area that's rebellious and troublesome, and Abraham moves into Hebron, and what happens? Everybody around him becomes his ally. One is in trouble and rebellion, the other one is in Allah with in alliances and in peace. That's the first thing that happens. When you're in the will of God, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's the first thing. That's the first consequence. You're going to go after riches. You're going to get yourself like Paul says in Timothy, to snares and plunge yourself into senseless things. You're going to be in the will of God. Peace will surround you and peace will fill your heart. The second thing that happens is captivity and humiliation versus victory and honor. If we look at 14 verses 12 to 16... Let's read that together, 14, 12 to 16. They also took Lot. Now, this is what happens is 
when they rebelled, those kings, and on the, on the 13th year, on the 14th year, they get attacked by the king who was subduing them. He wants them back. He wants the money. So they are attacked. Five kings against four kings. And they are defeated. The king of Sodom and Gomorrah are taken captives. And we pick it up here. It says, they, meaning the kings who attacked, also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Memra, the Amorite brother of Eshkol and of Anor. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he let forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Huba, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women um, and the people. So, here, Abraham has to make a decision. Do I go and try to save Lot? Or do I stay? Now, he could, he could easily reason himself out of going after Lot. He could have said, first, Lot is reaping what he sowed. He knew those people. He chose to separate from me. And he got himself in trouble. And he's reaping that. We all say that. We've all found ourselves reasoning that way, right? Another way he could have looked at it, he could have said, um, listen, this king defeated four kings. Who am I to go stand in front of him? Am I going to go risk my life? and the well-being of my family and try to save Lot and instead of saving him I could be killed my family could be killed this king is way too powerful for me right and both make sense I think if we look at it from we could have said well the man is counting the cost you know he's calculating properly he's being logical he's making a decision um, you know for the well-being of his family but Abraham doesn't do that. As soon as he hears, he picks up 318 men of his trained men and goes and decides to follow this king. Now, just as an aside, um, notice the wisdom of Abraham. Even though he is living in peace with these kings who are surrounding him in Hebron, he has trained 318 men to follow, to train. That's wise. He's being prudent. C.A. Coe's comments about this, and he says, The saint has to be a son of peace and a man of war. In this world, we need to be both. We need to be sons of peace when need be, and we need to be prepared for war when we need to be. Now, the question again is, why did Abraham do what he did? Why does he decide to risk himself and his family and go after Lot? It's the same reason initially he did. It is his love and care for Lot. Lot to him is like a son. 
Abraham didn't have any children. Lot was the son that he raised. He was his adopted son, for all we know. He was his nephew. Lot also was the only kinsman left from the old country. When, when, uh, when he left, he left with his father. His father died. And the only one left for him, with him in Canaan, which to him is still a strange land. It's not his you know, native land. Was Lot. So Lot is very special to Abraham. He cares for him uh, deeply. And he does not want to lose him. And so he decides to go and follow and go into war on behalf of Lot. There's a, a lesson here. I, I want to speak. I know there's a, children among us, and I know there's young people here and teenagers and college and career. And I just want to speak to you for a moment. I know as you're growing up, as teenagers especially, and then that sometimes you will get to points where you think that you know better than your parents. Sometimes you may even question the decisions of your parents for you. Sometimes you'll think that you know better than them, that they're old-fashioned, etc. And you'll go and deviate from what they, what they advise you to do. And then eventually you'll get yourself in trouble. I want to, what Abraham is doing to Lot is what I want to encourage you to consider. That no matter how much trouble you get yourself into, trust in the love of your parents. If you come back, they, their love will overcome your mistakes if you're willing to repent and come back. Um, and always trust in their advice because the only motive that is moving them in telling you whatever it is that they're telling you is because of your own well-being. Abraham had no other motive, no other reason, no economical reason, no uh, war reason, no territorial reason, no logical reason to go and risk himself and his family and his possessions for Lot except that he cared so deeply for this young man. And that's what your parents feel and how they feel about you. So just an aside. So the consequence of the decisions that Lot makes, turmoil, trouble, and eventually captivity and humiliation. He is now a captive on his way to becoming a slave somewhere. On the other hand, Abraham... Is we see him already as a victorious leader who went and conquered and prevailed and brought back not only Lot, he brought all his possessions back and all the people of Sodom, even the kings of Sodom came back free because of what Abraham did. And then something very interesting happens as this story in the life of Abraham comes to a conclusion. Let's read together uh, 14, 17 to 24. 14, 17 to 24. After his return from the, the defeat of Gedor Laomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, meet Abraham, 
at the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, meaning Melchizedek blessed Abraham, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anor, Eshkol, and Memra take their share. So, as Abraham is coming back from this battle, this winning battle, and he's coming back into the valley of the kings, he is greeted by two kings. He's coming victorious, and so the kings are coming out to celebrate him. Now, the king of Sodom comes to him and he says to him, Listen, take everything, just give me my people. Take everything, all my goods. Um, C.A. Coates has a, a beautiful co um, uh, quote here that I'm going to read for you about what, what is happening here with, with this king. He says the following. He says, The offer of the king of Sodom are perhaps frequently more deadly than open hostility. You know that? The offers of the king of Sodom are often more deadly than open hostility. We all have to fear the seductive proposals of the world. And the moment of victory is a moment of peculiar danger. Abraham is victorious, and that's very much the moment he could have fallen with the temptations and the offers of this evil, sinful king. Take the goods. That's what the world offers. The world will offer us everything. Sin appeals and appears very beautiful from a distance, doesn't it? The valley looks prosperous and green from outside. But on the inside is nothing but hostility and turmoil and trouble. The devil comes and tempts us time after time. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you just bow and worship me. We have to be careful. We have to be careful what the world is offering us because it's usually more often than not a quote for something poisonous on the inside. And Abraham, again, very wisely, very swiftly, and with much disdain, rejects the king and his offer. On the other hand, there is another king. 
Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, and I'm not going to go into Melchizedek here. I would point you to Pastor Joe's sermon on Hebrews 7, where if you want to learn about Melchizedek, you will learn everything Melchizedek in that sermon. Uh, but just a couple of comments about, about this situation as it relates to what we're discussing. Melchizedek here is the king of Salem, which is thought to be Jerusalem. And he is presented here as a king and a priest to the Most High. So he is worshipping. And this is Moses, by the Holy Spirit, commenting that he is a true priest to the God Most High, the true God, the one true God that Abraham is worshipping, the God of Israel. So he's a king, he's a priest, and he comes out to greet Abraham. And as he comes out to greet him, he offers Abraham... A blessing, blessing, he says, he says to him, Blessed be Abraham. Let me read it for you. Um, blessed be Abraham, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So he, he offers Abraham not possessions and not goods, but he offers him a spiritual blessing. He offers him almost a lesson about who God is. Because if you notice in the passage, he, he speaks to Abraham, he says, Blessed be the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. When Abraham speaks to the king of Sodom immediately after that, he repeats exactly verbatim the same thing that uh, Melchizedek just told him. I have lifted up my hands to the God most high, possessor of heaven and and earth. It's almost as if Abraham is learning a new spiritual truth about God and he's eager to use it. So Melchizedek is being used into bringing Abraham into a deeper meaningful relationship of knowing who his God is. This God who you worship, Abraham, is the God most high. This, guy is, this God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And the other thing that he offers him, he offers him uh, wine and bread to nourish him, to strengthen him, because he just came back from uh, war. So the more we, the more we are in the will of God, what we will reap is we will reap victory. We will reap honor. And we will reap blessings from the God Most High. Now, you may be sitting here saying, what does all this have to do with me? I spoke earlier about Adam and Eve. And that day when they reached and ate from the fruit. The Bible says that since that day, since Adam and Eve broke the commandment of God, we all have become, as human beings, prone to make wrong choices. We have all become prone to choose Sodom over Canaan. Like Lot, the Bible says, we have become captives of sin and Satan 
we are enslaved to our sinful behavior. We have become prone to make human decisions using human logic without consideration of God. We choose what pleases our eyes. We choose what delights our bodies. We choose what will feed the pride of life that we have within us. But just like Abraham, there's somebody else who came from the line of Abraham but is bigger before and better than Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to this earth not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. He came here to deliver us from our captivity. Abraham risked his own life to go after his nephew and save him. And Christ not only risked his life, but he actually lost his life to deliver us from captivity and enslavement. He was humiliated so that we would be honored. He died so we would have life. And he was shackled so we would be set free. Let me ask you, do you suffer from consequences of bad decisions in your life? Do you look back with regret at some decisions you made? Do you feel turmoil in your life? Turmoil within that people are not aware of. And turmoil sometimes outside. Do you have broken relationships that you have lived with? Do you suffer from bad habits and sinful behaviors that have enslaved you and you cannot break free from them? This afternoon, I invite you to come to the cross. I invite you to bow and confess your sins at the feet of Christ. I invite you to choose the land, not that you have chosen for yourself, but the land that God has chosen for you. The land that you chose for yourself is a land of turmoil, wars, and captivity. The land that God has chosen and wants for you is a land of peace, of victory, and honor. Come to the cross and accept Christ into your life. And there, you will see not Melchizedek, but you'll see one who is greater than Melchizedek. There you will see a king who can set you free. And you will see a priest who can forgive your sins. 
There you will receive heavenly blessings, not earthly blessings. And there you will receive the bread of his body and the wine of his blood. And only then you will be set free. Will you come to him today? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for all that you have done for us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray that these words will not go in vain, but that they will do what you have purposed for them to accomplish. I ask this in Jesus' name.